<laughs> Good to see you all. Hi, Jen. Say hi, well, hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. And we're very excited and happy because we only have only the best people for you, for you to, to listen and to follow and to check their books, their information. Because nowadays, you really have to be picky choose whom you're going to follow and this in this conversation we bring you the only one and only best Carrie Rivera and I say that because a lot of the things that she's done is in for many decades already comes to that point where people can vouch for good results of whatever you know she recommends and her work and especially that she her work also extends beyond uh, the english speaking countries which is crucial because i myself coming from the philippines we i know for a fact that resources we think there are resources are limited because we've been indoctrinated that a lot of our resources are like outside. We have to really expensive stuff, depend on you only listen to those in white coat. So all these things are, for me, are important when I'm choosing a guest. So let me just say a little bit more academically about uh, Carrie Rivera. So Carrie is a homeopath and she has written so many books, which later on I will um, put it in the ticker so you could check all her books and she's highly censored as well especially amazon also you know when it comes to her books and she is the founder of the first clinic for autism in latin america as under the biomedicine approach in mexico and that was 2006 so as as i as you note it down that her work is like really really past beyond the three years that most people are just waking up about vaccine injury or about autism so um i'll just let carrie tell more about her work because it's you know in our culture it's good to have a storytelling storytelling in a way that could really touch your heart and then do something with your cognition that you can connect the dots but beyond connecting the dots you take action for your own health because each of us must own our own health okay so welcome carrie and thank you for sharing this time because everyone's busy and it's precious thank you thank you grace for inviting me and i, I think also what you were saying about uh, we have to take our own uh, health into our own hands but also that of our family our children you know anybody close to us we definitely have to be asking questions and and like one of the other guests here today is saying that you know 99 percent of the children who are, have autism are vaccinated and most of the parents believe that those vaccines cause this change in their healthy child for now a sick nonverbal uh, child it, it changes the whole dynamic and that happened with my son so i didn't know these things 22 years ago when my son was born and by the time he was two he stopped speaking, he stopped looking, he stopped pointing, he and the crying and the sleepless night started. And uh, so I went through, you know, kind of the, the standard like denial thing. And there's, you know, what can you do? 
and then basically being thrust upon a diet and other things. And then I started to travel around the world to look for answers for my son and going to many people who were treating, this is a very important thing, treating autism, managing autism. So they were saying, well, you know, there's some recoveries, but you never see them. And I would go to conferences. And again, this is back in 2004 until 2010. You know, there were still people going to conferences. There wasn't so much online stuff. There definitely wasn't the social media like there is today. So I was doing all those standard things, going to these very expensive doctors, doing a bunch of labs, doing a bunch of vitamins. And uh, at the end of the day, autism has a, a big footprint of pathogen disorder. And of course, the immune system's not working, the inflammation's off the hook, and oxidative stress is going on. And so they were not dealing with this. They were looking at labs, and now you're low in magnesium, have some magnesium. And so I did that, and my child was you know, changing the diet, you know, get rid of the wheat and dairy. And so he was somehow better, right? You know, there were words that were happening. There were definitely improvements, but it wasn't to the level that, you know, that, that we, it didn't, didn't resemble recovery or what he had going on before he got all messed up. So uh, I prayed one day after even having the biomed clinic for four years and having a full staff of doctors and hyperbaric techs and neurofeedback and nurses doing IV chelation and et cetera, et cetera, ozone therapy, everything was at my clinic. And, you know, still people are spending, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and the kids are marginally better. And the marginally better came from changing the diet. Like that was a big piece. I can always tell you diet is always a big piece. And then everything else you do has to be really fantastic or you're still going to just be limping along in autism. And it's gotten even more complex as we're in 2023 now, because instead of like for when my son was vaccine injured, there were 42 vaccines before the age of two. Now there's 72 vaccines before the age of two. People say, but my kid didn't get 72. They're putting five and eight vaccines into one needle. So you don't know what's going and they just put stickers in the, in the vaccine schedule and, you know, off you go and wait for your next vaccine and vaccine full of, you know, six to eight, uh, different vaccines all in one syringe. So at one point, after spending all this money and having seen all the geniuses and stem cells and you name it, my son was still, you know, marginally better. He was better. But again, like I said, the diet was really important. I prayed one day because I really was like, I think the clinic, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it. You know, it doesn't make sense that parents are pouring all this money and their kids are marginally better. It doesn't make sense. And I remembered that I had bought this chlorine dioxide uh, a year prior from a doctor who I had visited in Guadalajara, which was a city nearby where I had been living uh, in, in the past with my kids. And so I thought, well, I mean, you know, it was only $20 for the stuff. I can't imagine it making a big difference, but I've tried everything else. So we might as well give it a try. And uh, I didn't know how to use it. I activated the drops. I remember how he told me to do it the year prior and they smelled. So I knew that it was activated. And then I started going on Google. Now this is 2010 when Google was still a search engine. Now it's a propaganda tool, but it used to be a search engine. Then you could find all this positive stuff about what they call back then MMS, which was Jim Humble who had founded chlorine dioxide for, for health and healing. He called it a miracle mineral solution. So that's where MMS came from, but it's chlorine dioxide. So I started to look up different things like, you know, what does it do with virus? It opens a viral envelope and destroys the virus. It destroys bacteria, all kinds, doesn't matter, well, gram negative, gram positive. It destroys fungus, whether it's mold or candida, destroys it. Uh, parasites, it's not so great with the big ones in the gut, but it's really good for like malaria and, and the blood parasites and this and that. It takes down inflammation, oxygenates the blood and, uh, you know, removes oxidative stress because you're killing off the pathogens causing the oxidative stress. So I was like, wow, this is really indicated for autism. And then I was like, okay, so how do I use it? And I'm, you know, again, Googling 13 years ago, 
And, uh, you know, nothing about autism, nothing about ADHD, nothing about autism spectrum disorders, ASD. So I said, okay. So I start sending these emails to the Genesis 2 church. And finally, a couple days later, because I don't know what to do with these drops. Like, I got one drop, $100, I didn't know what to do. And so I, I get an email from Mark Brennan, who started the church with, with Jim Humble back in, I think, 2009 in the Dominican Republic. I got an email from him. He said, I'm going to have Jim get back to you. Because I told him I do, I have, a co- uh, I have a clinic, I do conferences all over the world. I mean, I'm helping families actively. And so he got on, he just sent me a really simple email saying, well, you know, if you would get 25 pound child, it's one drop eight times, a 50 pound child, two drops eight times, 100 pound child, it's three drops eight times. Well, my son had just turned 10. It was August of 2010. And I said, okay, I start, it was exactly 100 pounds. I said, okay, start with three drops eight times a day. So this is day one of three drops eight times a day. And by five o'clock, he projectile vomits. I was like, okay, but now projectile vomiting can just be a sign of a Herxheimer reaction, went too fast, poor instructions, whatever. So I'm taking the rest of the afternoon off because that's what I would do and rethinking how I'm going to do it. I'm sitting there reading a book in the TV room and my son is always, he's standing, jumping up and down, flapping in front of his touchscreen computer. And at nine o'clock in the evening, he turns to me, never done this in his life and says, I want bed. And I'm alone. And of course, like all the doctors before told me my son is a non-responder. So I had no thoughts in my head that like he would actually have some improvements and let alone day one, especially because we had the projectile vomiting. So well, it's probably going to be a little bit slower. So I just said, okay. And he starts to walk up the stairs to his bedroom. So I follow him up the stairs and he gets to the top. And as he's, I mean, I can see this like yesterday because it was, I've told the story many times, but it's something that I, I think I will never forget that day. Yeah, unless I get Alzheimer's and I'll forget for sure. But anyway, he turns to me and he says, I want to take bath. And then I, and I'm still alone in the house with him. I don't know where anybody, my, my older son, my ex-husband, I don't know where they were. But anyway, I was with him and, and I said, oh my gosh, he just said, I want to take bath. So my son at that point in his life, he could say like, I want chicken, I want go walk. Like he had some rote language for things he wanted. But anything that was mundane, like take a shower, brush your teeth, forget it. You know, and, and he could stand there flapping and jumping in front of the touchscreen computer until two o'clock in the morning. Like we had a party in our house. It was Christmas time. Family was there. He would just be there, you know, going and going to town, jumping up and down in front of the, for, I mean, until we said, okay, it's time to go to bed. Then he would go to bed. Otherwise he would just stand there. So the fact that around nine o'clock, which would be a typical hour for somebody to go to bed of his age, that was amazing. And then once we were at the top of the stairs, he says, want to take bath? I said, okay. And he goes and gets in the tub. So these were really like, he was not only was he saying what he wanted, he was going in the direction, like got into the tub and he was sudsing himself up with his little loofah pad. And he was very happy, not yeasty, manic, happy. Like we were used to in autism. He was really happy. And then as I was drying him off from that, his eyes met my eyes. And all I can say, it was the first time in eight years that the veil of autism was lifted. And thank God that that veil has never come back and may it never come back. Because there's just a look when the kid is, you know, right in the throes of autism. They don't really see you. Even they could be looking at you. It's almost like they're looking through you. And he was smiling. His eyes had that spark again. Um, and then at that point, he got him out of the tub and he says, I want, I want brush teeth. Again, something he never said, even though he knew what it meant to brush your teeth, he just wouldn't say those things. Brush his teeth and then he wanted blanket, blanket. And we started playing blanket. And it was like, again, the eye contact, the smiles. And, and, I, and, and again, it was something I really didn't even know what to expect. And of course, my son had been gone eight years. So, you know, once you lose something, it's also difficult to lose it again. So I was very apprehensive and, of course, uh, you know, holding myself back. 
But then it became very apparent when I went to my clinic because it was that summer vacation, so a lot of people were not around. And then when we go back, and this is his, I think I started on the 17th of August. So within the next week or so, I'd go back to the clinic and everyone's like, what did you do with Patrick? He looks totally different. What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I bought these drops from this doctor in Guadalajara and here's his phone number. Again, this is before like, you know, text message all this. So anyway, people start buying. They're like, well, how to use it? So then I said, I don't know. And then I started to get like a bottle. And I said, well, how do you make one drop into, you know, eight or 16 equal parts? You break it up into eight or 16 ounces of water and you just make them into equal parts. And that's basically what started the revolution of chlorine dioxide for autism. And then along the way, kind of like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, you know, I picked up a Jim Humble and Andreas Kalker and here and there people came into my life, uh, Dr. Mitchell, Dr. Wright, different, different people that had written books or, you know, were having uh, great success in other areas of health and healing. And so that was uh, kind of what exp expanded into, this was the first book that I wrote was in 2014. And this was the protocol back then. And now of course, this is almost well nine years later and I've learned things that are different from that. I mean, there's some things that stay the same, the chlorine dioxide, but instead of eight doses, we're doing 16 doses. Still do enemas, still do diet, but I don't do gluten-free now with carnivore or low glutamate. So I've, <clears throat> I've made changes in advancements, like when you start to see 10% of the kids recover in four months that you put on, on carnivore, who shuts up then? You're just like, you gotta try, does the kid eat meat, you know? So I start to become like a big cheerleader for the stuff that really does work. Hyperbaric still works, the protocols are still the same for brain injury, which is a vaccine injury, encephalopathy. So, you know, there's some things about the book that stay the same, and then of course, like I said, there's things that have changed. And uh, I, I still see now there's thousands recovered. When I wrote the book, there were hundreds recovered. So of course we're, you know, we're many years later and now the protocols are all over the place. They're just, you know, we just share files all over the, the, you know, social media for people to share it forward and people are doing their thing on their own. Like, I mean, eventually I get a message like, oh yeah, I recovered my kid with your protocol a few years ago. My mother's got Alzheimer's, you know, you have any suggestions like this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, what number are you? Do we have you calculated? No, no, no. I don't have a number. You know, I'm afraid that the government will come after me. You know, whatever the situation is, I totally understand that position. And of course, once a kid's recovered, they're recovered. Uh, I had three children this past summer who recovered years ago get driver's licenses. So when someone says to me, what does a recovered child look like? They look like every other citizen that doesn't have autism. You know, they're just fully recovered. And I believe that most children have that ability. It's just a matter of finding the right tools. And of course, timeframes are important because at some point, you know, I, I don't have a lot of hope for a you know, 22-year-old nonverbal child to begin to speak like we're having conversation today. But a child under the age of nine? Why not? You know, why wouldn't that be something possible? So that was, you know, my, my whole life changed. And of course, when you tell the truth, there's a lot of people that want to shut you up. And that's also, and you know, like many of the people here today are homeopaths. I studied homeopathic medicine and right in the middle of my studies, um, I was using chlorine dioxide and I'm watching these kids recover like lightning fast. And, you know, there's other people doing cease therapy and the constitutional remedies and like, they're not having the recoveries. And so I'm saying, well, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, kind of like at this, this fork in the road, you know? And well, anyway, I just stayed the course. And like I said, I mean, it's not that you can't, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, I guess, but this is the one that seems to be uh, tried and true in thousands now, recovered in tens of thousands, you know, much, much better. Thank you, Carrie. What's your um, experience when it comes to uh, the countries or different countries' acceptance or, um, is that the right word, acceptance or just being open right. to what you're sharing? 
Yeah, well, I can tell you Latin America is arms wide open. I mean, they embrace everything from technology and every kind of alternative uh, medicine that is showing uh, promise. So during this, this, this pandemic, Andreas Kalker made big waves into Latin America uh, with chlorine dioxide, including uh, Bolivia. Bolivia created a law saying that you can use chlorine dioxide and the government was giving it away to the people to cut the infection and of course even take people out of hospitals. So I don't know how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives were, were saved because of that. But Latin America for sure is like the number one country for arms wide open. And India is another country that is also uh, very open to alternative, well, Ayurvedic comes from there. So very, very open. And I would say the countries of most uh, propaganda, might we say, would be, uh, you know, UK, US, Australia, New Zealand. And of course, because they all come from the crown, it seems like they have some things in common as far as the control of the propaganda. But those are probably the most difficult. And then Europe, which is really surprising. I, I have so few messages ever from Europe, so few. It's, it's very, I mean, very, very interesting. So few come from Europe. It's, it's, it's surprising. How about uh, your experience when it comes to um, maybe your sons or if, if, it, if it's not your experience, other parents with autistic child, their experience when it comes to managing their relationship with their, let, let's say, pediatrician, pediatrician who may not be open to this uh, chlorine dioxide or to anything that you, you, you see that's highly con contributing for a uh, child's wellness. How, 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 can, how did you manage that? Because I'm sure I can imagine you perhaps in a clinic where you have to do if you ever had a primary physician for your son, how did you do that? Well, I would talk for just kind of general. And again, I've worked with you know tens of thousands of families over the last 19 years and, and probably 100,000 in the chlorine dioxide period of time, this 13 year period. And the pediatricians, in my opinion, don't really serve children well. They kind of have two major functions. One is to distribute antibiotics and the other one is to distribute vaccines of which do not serve children well at all. Um, you know, I've heard that uh, psychiatry is to autism what a bicycle is to a fish. And I feel that that's sort of similar in pediatrics. And again, I don't want to offend anybody, but if you know, somebody could convince me that there's something else that ch healthy children need on a daily basis that, that is in the office of the pediatrician or on their, on their notepad, I, I don't see it. So I think a lot of parents also like me, we became... Um, uh, not disinterested, but really, we, you know, feeling like your, your child was uh, damaged by that whole base of operation being, you know, pediatrics. So, you know, and of course, homeopathy, like I started to see a homeopath. By the time my child was two, I mean, it was like, you know, antibiotics, why? You know, my kid is, you know, drooling and he's got this rash. And of course, all these things were coming from the, the vaccine injury that he had called autism. He wasn't sleeping at night. And so, so I started to visit with my local homeopath and you know, do like uh, homeopathic tinctures for pretty much everything that was happening. And I usually recommend that to families. Uh, like if they wanna have a practitioner or something like that locally, fine, you know, but just what you're gonna use it for is definitely not gonna be you know, antibiotics, especially if you use uh, antibiotics with a child with autism, you're gonna send them further back into autism and we have less chance of recovering that child every, every round of antibiotics that they do. So I usually recommend them to go find a naturopath or a homeopath 
that is open to you doing something alternative and they just doing labs if that's what the parent wants to do. But a lot of parents are really turned off by the whole system. And so they'll usually find like a homeopath or somebody that can handle acute illnesses while we deal with the, with the chronic illness. Wonderful. Thank you for everything that you do. And yeah. I'm going to pass it on to Roy because I know Roy has questions for you okay. as well. Thanks, Chris. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Roy. So, I mean, I've heard it's like one in 32 in the States and depending on the area that is having autism, like you would think that the mainstream would be shouting out what you're actually doing because you're actually getting results. I personally, because we're exposing, you know, fraud and corruption, I got kicked off YouTube. I got removed from Linktree, even blocked on uh, LinkedIn, Grace as well. I'm assuming you've something similar, but not everybody knows this. So you might let people know about the censorship that you're going through. Oh, it's been terrible. And, it, and it's shocking too, you know, because I'm really, you know, if you look at autism as a business model, they're winning. The business model is cause the autism, give these people medications, charge them for medications, and, and they live to be old. Like there's no reason why a child with autism won't live to be 80. You know, you got a client for life, basically. So I'm really not interrupting their cycle. But I believe, of course, once the pandemic came around, then I started to understand why the pressure came in 2017. By 2017, I lost PayPal. By 19, my Yahoo account was taken overnight. Uh, my, uh, my bank account was taken in 2020. Uh, and I was, my house was raided in Germany uh, by 15 armed police with bulletproof vests, boxes to take everything out as if I was a drug dealer, the 13th of, of July, uh, 2021. Um, I can only tell you my, my distaste now for everything uh, regarding that circumstance. And there's never been a case. They continue to say 19 months later, there's still an investigation. That's why they stole my computers and my cell phones and everything that was electronic in my house, backup drives, like my old cell phones with my dog and children photos in them, you know, because you change computer, you change your phone more often than you unload the, the photos and stuff. They took all kinds of things. There's never been a case. 19 months, they couldn't come up with the case. They took me downtown. They fingerprinted me. They, they weighed me. They checked me for any uh, flaws on my body. They, it was awful. It was awful. And of course, there's no dead children. And it all comes from this troll from Ireland. And she created all kinds of documents and kept shoving in front of the face of the government. And then eventually the government was like, okay, what's this woman doing? And it, and, it, and it said that I harmed two children in Germany. When I moved to Germany nine years ago, I made a, a decision and I said, I'm not gonna work with any Germans. Nothing to do against the Germans, but you know, you don't want to uh, stir up anything because you don't, the, the laws in Germany are distinct to the laws in other parts of the world, say. So if you don't know where the law is on that and probably not going to be too favorable, then just avoid it. So that was the decision, just avoid it. So there was never a child that I harmed. Actually, there's never been a child, thank God, that I've ever, there's ever been harmed using chlorine dioxide or my protocol. But at the same time, I never worked with a German child. So they cannot attach me to this, this situation. Yet I had to pay umpteen tens of thousands of euros to, uh, anyway, long story short, like my mom used to say, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. But that was really a, a turning point in my life when you start to see like what they're doing, what level they will go to to do it. And um, there's certain places where you can never be safe. And, uh, you know, and of course, they, they talk about New World Order and they talk about different things like that. And I know another friend of mine, he's 
been in jail without ever having a trial. And I never want that to be me because I, I, I have children and pets and things like this that I take care of on a daily basis that I don't want to be sitting in a jail for something I didn't do, first of all. And he's never had a trial. And that's happening in my country where I come from, the United States. Uh, him and his three boys for having promoted chlorine dioxide are sitting in jail without, like I said, ever having a trial. The same thing with me. There's an investigation for 19 months. They still have my things and my attorney, you know, about every two, three months, I'm like, can you get my stuff back? Oh, no, they say it's part of the investigation phase. And then, of course, the woman who caused all this trouble, she's just a troll psycho uh, psychopath online. And uh, she's actually been threatened by her own government. And if she keeps harassing people online, she goes to jail. So she's out on kind of bail, basically, you would say, something like this. I, I, there's, a, um, there's documents online with this, the whole story, I think, is a business insider, one of those, one of those type of, of journalists. Anyway, so, I mean, the person that even caused all these issues, just so to say, uh, is, is, is just an online terrorist, troll kind of person. So when you say to yourself, well, how is this possible this person had anything to do with, with all of this, then the, the German government had no right to do what they did. And there should be some apologies and there should be some, uh, you know, I don't know, there should be some kind, I mean, I've spent a lot of money, you know, that I didn't have to spend because there was no children harmed and there definitely no German children harmed for sure. That's terrible. Oh, awful. Just disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And you, like you mentioned there that, you know, the, the children with autism can live up to 80. So there yeah. must be terrible, fair with the parents then as well, because obviously exactly. the child will outlive them and then you're passing them into a hospital system that is so corrupt and evil as well. But it doesn't even exist, right? It doesn't even exist. That's, that's, another, that's another set of circumstances. It doesn't exist. So, you know, where, where are you sending the kids to? And right now, we were talking, for example, in the United States right now, 2023, it's one in 27 boys with autism. So these numbers are, are astronomical. And I'm not sure if every part of the world, they're the exact same as in the U.S. The U.S. has more glyphosate use. The U.S. has, you know, a lot of vaccines. Um, I didn't notice when I lived in Germany that, uh, that I didn't see that many children with autism. Like in the U.S., they're everywhere, you know, every, every place. They're everywhere. And in Germany, you don't see them. Do they not bring them out? Do they not exist? I don't know. You know, but I would say that, you know, the, still the autism rates are very high. And, yeah, they will live a long time and there won't be services for these children. And I found that even in Germany, it kind of like when the child graduates from what would be like kind of a, a high school or prep school or whatever, like by eight, 19, 18, 19 years of age, when they graduate from that, if they're high enough functioning, they can get kind of a job. This, I only know the system in Germany. I don't really know what other places. There's other countries like Mexico that I'm familiar with, and they don't have anything at all. I mean, they really don't. Like, you have to have money or your kid's kind of home with you. They have some kind of daycare when they're younger. But then if the child is not high enough functioning in Germany, for example, to go into these other, you know, where they build things, they fix bikes, or they put things in boxes or whatever the situation is, they either stay home or there's an institution that gets offered. I know this because I had the firsthand experience of this sort of thing. And I just, it's just shocking because you pay a lot of taxes, you pay almost 50% taxes and you think, well, there's gotta be some sort of service, but there really aren't services and it, can, it all kind of depends on the level. So if you've got a really low functioning kid or a really high functioning kid, they have services. And then you're kind of somewhere in the between, there are no services. And then, and, and, I, and I can tell you, like if you go from a first world country, and I'm using Germany just because I had the experience, um, you know, first world countries, I don't know, first, third, whatever, but th there's a certain amount of money that they have for social services. 
And like when you go to, for example, Mexico, which is considered, you know, developing, I don't know what the correct word is, politically correct to say, but they don't have money for social services. You know, people are barely paying taxes if they're paying taxes anyway. So there's much less for the social programs and they don't have those kind of things. So what does happen to our kids? And, you know, what happens, for example, when nobody wants to take the child, you know, because they can also be very severe. We don't know because we've never seen this. You know, we've never seen an 80-year-old person with autism because we didn't have autism back then. I mean, it only started up, I think, in the 40s anyway, and there was like, you know, a couple of people. It was not like, you know, right now we've got an epidemic and what do you do? And Dr. Stephanie Seneff from MIT ran numbers years ago. She's a statistical person, and she found that by 2032, if we continue in the same trajectory as we're on, and she said, you know, I talked to her the other day, she said, there's no change. It's all the same, uh, that one in two people will get autism in their lifetime. You know, because my child, for example, is not born with autism. He got it. You know, so that's what she's saying. So one in two people in their lifetime will get autism. And this is 2032. This is only nine years away. So when people start worrying about, you know, uh, I know because you're closer to the to the source over there, where we start thinking, oh, nuclear war is so bad. Well, of course it is. But what does humanity look like when every other person who is born gets autism in their lifetime? They're not going to be uh, productive members of society. Yes, some of the high-functioning ones, maybe they'll be productive members. Okay, won't, won't diss everybody. But at the, at the end of the day, we're not reproducing. We're not having the same social settings that we've had. You know, I, most of us are probably in our 50s or whatever. So you know, we came from a totally different time as to where we're going now. And there isn't, there isn't the structure. And of course, financially speaking, how will that be as well after we come off of these, you know, three years of pandemic and we see what happened to the, the, the economic situation in, in the whole world. Where are we going in the next nine years, 15 years? How does it look? And it's, it's really bleak. And, and I, I'd like to be more optimistic, but and I just, you know, we have to keep doing what we're doing because this is what we're here to do. You know, we cannot just say, well, it doesn't matter. Let's just, you know, spend the whole day in the bar. It's not a possibility. We have to continue to, to, to try to make things better where we have the influence, but it is discouraging to see a lot of the things that, uh, we're looking at right now. Okay, and like obviously with your own child, but you know, you know, probably thousands at this stage, and with the numbers increasing, how can people help? Because I know how tiring. I mean, I've seen people how tiring it is for the parents, and okay. it's not as if you can get a babysitter in. For okay. the outsider that doesn't really know, how can we offer our support to make your life as a parent better? Wow. Yeah, I mean, that would be really cool. Like if you had a neighbor or somebody that you know or a family member and just be like, hey, do you guys want to go out for dinner tonight? And we'll just, you know, we'll stay and watch your child, watch a movie with your child or something like that. Like that would be something amazing, especially, um, for example, and, and there's certain countries, there's great benefits if you live in uh, like more of a developing nation. What I found, too, is uh, the first world is a bit colder. So you might not have like the warm neighbor or the, you know, the, the, the same feelings. You know, that's like, I didn't even know my neighbors, you know, when in Germany, I didn't know them. It, like the ones next door didn't even say hi. And then we lived there for nine years. So um, I, I think that also it, it's a matter of like people being, you know, warm and, and like, oh, and they see something is different about the child. They'd be like, oh, hey, you know, I've got a little nephew like that. And, you know, maybe kind of making more of a social situation where you get to know the people and maybe even offer something like that. But if there's a family member, and I think nowadays, most people have some relative or some nearby person that has a child with autism. And the one thing the family really, really needs is just to get out of the house. 
and they really need to go on a date. Like they need to go on a date, go out, go out you know, as a couple. If you're still married, you know, a lot of like 90% of us get a divorce because it's a very difficult situation to live under. And then it's also difficult to be able to choose what treatments we want for our children. So we're fighting now about everything. That is really what happens. And so if you are of the 10% that are still married, God bless you. Uh, and, and, you know, it would be nice to be able to go on a date, you know, one, even once a month, it's something just to look forward to, to get out of your house. And it all depends on, you know, what level your child's at. Cause some of the children are very high functioning and they're easy to go and they're little, you know, some of those are easier, but as our kids get older, some of the children get far more difficult. And then at that point we have to, uh, we have, it's nice when somebody says, Hey, want to go on a date? I'll stay with your child until you know, 11 o'clock at night, you know, whatever. I'll put your kid to bed or feed them, you know, something like that would be just like a dream come true for most families. Okay. Excellent. And have you found like, because we know would say like Alzheimer's and everything, the metal that's going into their brains, is there kind of tests with autism that kind of, that there's metals as well that go to the brain? Well, there's a lot of tests that they do. They do stool samples and blood samples and urine samples and hair samples looking for heavy metals and, uh, you know, uh, pathogens like parasites and bacteria and candida and stuff. And actually, I find them to be a waste of money because our children have everything. They have heavy metals. They have virus, bacteria, parasites and candida because these exist in biofilms in the blood and in the gut. So they got them. It's there. So how do you treat it? Well, I wrote a protocol on that, how to get rid of it, because you have to deal with everything at one time. It's not like, oh, I'm going to treat the candida or I'm going to use the, you have to treat everything at one time. And that's why chlorine dioxide has really been, you know, a, a cornerstone for that. And then of course, if you want to know where your child sits on the autism spectrum, you don't have to hire a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You can actually go to autism.org and there's a test called autism treatment evaluation checklist, which is A-T-E-C, A-T-E-C. And you can do that about every 90 days. It's free to so do it every day if you wanted, but it's not going to change that much. So if you're doing any kind of interventions, it's a good idea to look at the ATEC and make sure that it's worth the money and the effort that you're putting forward and that the ATEC score is going down. So an ATEC score of zero, recovered, life is great. But you want to get under 10 until you would be considered uh, no longer on the autism spectrum. So that's, but that's the only test that matters to me. Where's your ATEC? If it's zero, I know we're done. And if it's 10, we're going to open up the diet and we're going to challenge the leaky gut. So it, it, anywhere 10 to zero is, is recovered. And most of the kids start somewhere between 50 and 120 typically. Okay. And just uh, finally, because I see you, you have to do it. And I see a lot of different people kind of put disclaimers against the FDA. Like that must be so disheartening when you know they're the most corrupt organization in the world and they're paid by Big Pharma, who is basically injecting the children, causing the problem. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the whole thing is, you know, it's like living an upside down world, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, the six of us, we're all kind of, you know, singing the same, the same song. We're part of the chorus because we know that these things are bad. We're awake to these things and you try to wake other people up. The other day, somebody said that more than five and a half billion people took one of the jabs during this, this you know, couple year period. It, it's still as surprising to me that we're such a minority of people who are awake to the fact that that didn't even make sense when they came out with the whole thing. It didn't make sense, you know? And it just a matter, it's always interesting to me that so many people, like I had this one friend in, well, I, I knew this person in Germany, I didn't have a friend, but anyway, I knew this one person in Germany and she was a lawyer. And she was actually holds her license in California as well as in Germany. So this woman is extremely intelligent, did not do due diligence. And I think she's probably had four or five boosters, as many as she could get, she had. And I was really shocked because it was somebody that was 
I would have considered a friend prior to the separation of the, the jabbed and the unjabbed. And that was really surprising to me that she didn't even do the due diligence because it didn't make sense if you started to look at it. It didn't make any sense. There was no science, quote unquote, as they say, behind it. Excellent. Thank you very much, Gary. Hey, um, thank you, I'll pass Ray. it to Carol. Maybe he'll start singing for you. I don't know. <laughs> Hi, Carrie. No, Hi. I won't be singing. I won't be singing. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, just a, a few things, just to uh, make a comment on upside down world. Um, yeah. Chlorine dioxide, from what I understand, I've only become aware of it recently. Uh, it's used to purify blood. I think it was used to purify blood to get rid of AIDS or the transmission of it. Sure. Well, and Jim Humble, they had a lot of recoveries from from HIV in uh, in Africa. That was a second yeah. stop after the malaria in South America. But, but it's it's used, uh, so it's proven there, and it's going back into living people. Uh, and it's also used to disinfect food. And yet... Absolutely. Just, and so you would think, given that, it's proven. It's already certified itself over the last 100 or so years it's been in use. And yet there's these draconian measures that are, that are taken to people who are using it and getting success. But we know it's upside down. I, I, I suppose the next thing that's on my mind is this idea of pathogens because um, chlorine dioxide is used to kill pathogens. So is hydrochloroquine. Um, so is uh, fenbenzidol, which has been used. Fenbenzidol is good for parasites. So one thing is pathogens. The other thing is parasites. So parasites are part of the pathogen family. Um, okay. You know, so there's two different things here. And, and when you talk about parasites, they're the largest pathogen. So they're also a little bit more challenging and they work in unison. So they're more challenging to kill. Chlorine dioxide can get rid of, for example, malaria. Methylene blue can too. It can get rid of malaria. So that, that's good for the, the, the tiny ones that are in our blood. But the large parasites like the Ascaris lumbricoide or the, or the ropeworm, for example, which they find in the intestine, those are more challenging. And I like to pair the chlorine dioxide with mebendazole because I don't need a systemic parasitic medication like albendazole or ivermectin or uh, the other one. So I, you don't need, the, or fenbendazole, for example. Cancer, a lot of people with cancer do fenbendazole three days on, four days off. But we can do maybe uh, anywhere between two, three weeks of mebendazole monthly as cycles go in order to get rid of a parasitic infection that our kids have big time. And they get rid of a lot of parasites all the time. It's it yeah it's 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 curious though that these um, parasitic uh, um, remedies that's probably not the right word drugs or, or procedures mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they seem to be they don't just do one thing they seem to be cure alls uh, you know like chlorine dioxide can help in so many different situations uh, you know fenbenzidol is used as a treatment for cancer, right. according to Jim Tipton. So that would suggest that there's something out of place with the terrain, with the body itself. So do the parasites sure. come in because the body's out of balance or do the parasites make the body out of balance? But nevertheless, these, these solutions like chlorine dioxide, they seem to solve that problem to a large degree. Can you comment? Sure. Well, chlorine dioxide destroys biofilms. And in each biofilm, you have virus, bacteria, parasites, candida, and heavy metals. So if it destroys the biofilm and it neutralizes heavy metals, 
then if you send in like a chelator, for example, use moppers, I use different moppers, I use systemic moppers and non-systemic moppers, um, you can get to the, the end of the problem, especially when the immune system starts working uh, together again in unison with what we're doing to bolster it until we can get rid of it. But parasites, I repeat, are only one part of the pathogen problem. And when your immune system is down, all pathogens can, just like anarchy, they multiply, divide, and they travel. So that's why we end up with, with, with issues with pathogens, with autism, because their immune system has been damaged. Interesting. And so with chlorine dioxide, um, is there, I suppose, an upper limit to dosage, or is the dosage tailored to the specific illness? Are, it's, a, it's a bit of everything, I suppose. It's weight. It's based on weight. So what I like to use is I like to use a 16-ounce bottle, half-liter bottle, and start with yeah. one drop divided into 16 equal parts, so one ounce every 45 minutes, because chlorine dioxide only lasts in the body for about 45 minutes till it's finished doing whatever it's going to do. Then you can replenish it. And I think it's extremely important because when I wrote my first book, well, when I wrote the book back in 2014, 13, uh, I was doing eight doses a day. But when you look at a day, there's 24 hours in a day. So if you want to gain, uh, gain, gain track on pathogens, you have to be treating or, or at least harming them more hours than not. So of course, when we're sleeping, there's basically eight hours, we're not gonna be able to do anything. So if we go to a 16 hour dose day, 14, 16 hours, we have a better chance of getting ahead, gaining ground, and then of course, recovery. So I would start with one drop divided into 16 equal parts, which would be one sixteenth of a drop every 45 minutes. It doesn't build up in your body. It doesn't stay behind. It kills pathogens. It's over. It's done. And then you go up a drop a day and everything is based on weight. So when people say, well, what's the age? Two months old, doesn't matter. But it has everything to do with weight. And you always want to start really low and really slow. And then you can, um, and then you can go from there as far as dosing is concerned. Okay, so that's basically it. We're going for we're going to uh, class. Okay, um, yeah, I, I was I was I was I have only started chlorine dioxide myself, and I I, I bought the solution, the 03 percent solution, and I've been taking as rather than making it up myself. Oh, you're doing so CDS. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, okay. yeah. So what, I, I've been using like a uh, uh, hundred, a hundred drops of that in a uh, half a liter. That's, you know, eight ounces. But you're using CDS. So CDS, that's nothing. CDS is uh, measured in milliliters, not in drops. So one right. milliliter has about 20 drops. Yes. So okay. As an adult, like what I do, for example, because uh, I'm 50, I'll be 57 soon. And so people that are older, like older than 50, because of our hydrochloric acid and everything, we don't do as well with CD, like drop plus drop, like with the kids. The kids need the CD, the, the chlorine dioxide, the one drop plus one drop for one minute makes one drop. This is the CDS, like you said, you've got the 3,000 parts per million. And with this, we can use milliliters. So I usually do a 20 milliliter bottle, which would be like 400 drops, I guess, a so 20 milliliter bottle um, over the day. And uh, you, know, you can start with one milliliter and go up every day by one milliliter and just kind of see where you're feeling a difference or if you just kind of want to use doing it for just general health, anywhere between like 10 milliliters and 20 milliliters a day is enough. But, but CDS is definitely measured in milliliters, not in drops. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, was, I need to up it. I'm taking about five, five mils a day. 
Yeah, so. they just go up a milliliter every day. And, and, and one thing what's nice about CDS, because it has none of the raw material in it for us uh, older people, and I don't mean old, I'm just older people, like, you know, the three-year-olds, the 10-year-olds, 15, 20-year-olds, they do great with chlorine dioxide, drop, drop one minute into the bottle. Um, we do better with the CDS just because there is no raw material. And of course, uh, stomach acid is uh, greatly diminished as we get older, typically, unless we're taking something for that. So that's why I do. I also do CDS just because you can't really screw it up. I mean, you take my mother, I have her on it and she's like, oh, honey, I feel fine. Except for that diarrhea, you know, so she's like taking 40 milliliters because you just she's like basically pouring it out. But um, the only thing that would ever happen at that point would just be a little bit of diarrhea. But if you don't have it, then you can just keep going up. Yeah, it's um, that's great. It, it's it's just amazing that these things um, sometimes the the least expensive or even the free things in this world are the best. God doesn't just like rich people, you know that, Carl. I mean, you know, God loves all of us. <laughs> Absolutely, and and it's I, I I'm always fascinated with the idea that things can be right there at hand, and and just to say what what Grace said at the beginning, we're 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 kind of always we have to go for the most expensive. You know the guy in the white, uh, uh, you know cardigan or whatever, or jacket, and uh, lots of degrees on the wall and all this right. kind of stuff. And yet, the answer can be right there under our nose. Yeah, and, and it was that, always there. It was. I was like, was I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Wizard of Oz. It's a famous. Oh thing. yeah. Well, it's like that. Like you know, there's no place like home. It was always there. You know, the home was always there, and but she had to go this whole thing and. It's the same thing with me. I had the CDs sitting there and I still had to like pour a bunch more money out and waste another year of my child's life. Just not believing that $20 could have been the, the solution. But then when I, rem I remember praying that time in 2010 and what one of the, the feelings that came to me was God doesn't just love rich children. So it, so that was the point. Like it couldn't be stem cells that were going to be the, ooh, the, the, you know, the, the, the major cure for autism because we can't afford that. You know, 99.9% .9 of us can't afford stem cells, even if we sell our car in our house. We still can't. Most of us don't even have a car in our house to sell. So how are you going to get ahead? Well, I've worked with families in 77 different countries over the last 13 years and probably in excess of 100,000 people between my Facebook groups and Telegram and everything else. Everybody's been able to afford the $20 bottles of CD. Everybody, you know, of the chlorine dioxide. Everybody's been able to get it in whatever country, even, even Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, I mean, even, you know, difficult uh, Oman, difficult places, you would say, wow, how are they getting it? They get it. They can get it. It's available so far in the 77 countries where I've worked with people, Russia even, they can get it. Yeah, it's, it, it seems to be you have to have faith uh, that a $20 bottle or whatever can actually cure you. Uh, you know, the faith that you don't have to have all this paraphernalia. Right. Um, yeah, fantastic. Right. Well, Jerry, thank thank you, Carrie. I'm going to pass you on to Hartmut. Um, lovely talking to you. Thank, thank you, you, Kyle. Nice to meet you. Hello, Carrie. Thank you for being here. That's uh, it's amazing. Um, I want to go to the autism a little bit more in the detail. Mm -hmm. For example, I com it's not comparable, but we have HDHD. Yeah, we have Alzheimer, and we have autism. These mm -hmm. are so in my opinion, three brain diseases in question mark, mm. yeah, which um, which have specific characters. For example, HDHD, there are the frequency of the brain. They didn't they doesn't they don't work very well um, in Alzheimer. For example, you have the brain derived neurotrophic factor, which doesn't make the right connections between the neurons. Mm. 
And what's about autism? How is how would you characterize autism? Does it uh, um, is it because of aluminium in the brain barrier, like uh, Alzheimer, or how does it? Yeah, how would you characterize autism? Well, autism is it's the perfect storm. So I don't believe that there's only one factor to autism. I do believe that there had to be other factors, and there's other people who have shared with me their thoughts. And I think over time, I've, I've also come to that because I do work with probably 99% of the children who I work with are, are vaccine injured. But there's this 1%, which makes you kind of think like, hmm, what about that kid that never had a, a vaccination? Like what happened to that child? And you start to look at a little, can be cesarean, probably 80% of the kids that I work with is cesarean. And of course, with a cesarean, what happens? There's, you know, uh, they have, you know, dilation drugs, they have antibiotic in the IV fluid that they're giving you while you're, you know, having a block or whatever the situation is happening. And of course, that antibiotic is going to kill the colostrum and the breast milk. So the initial stuff that's going to seed the, the friendly flora and the immune system is now going to be damaged. And so we could be nursing for a year, but basically that initial phase was damaged by the antibiotics that we got that day. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening, you know, speaking of with car like terrain, there's a lot of stuff that happened to make the perfect storm. But it doesn't mean that our children didn't have a period of normalcy, like my child did. He was born cesarean. He was breastfed for a year. Um, I was vaccinating. I was using homeopathy, ironically. I was using homeopathy for everything, but I was still vaccinating. So I didn't have the whole story together yet. Still, I was still in the dark, unfortunately, for him and unfortunately for everything. But anyway, um, so yeah, as far as um, them having things in common, they have a lot of things in common, but that, that was really the perfect storm. And of course, they have overgrowth of all pathogens and the immune system is not working and the body is in TH2, not TH1. Uh, ADHD is autism spectrum, but on the higher functioning end of the autism spectrum, so is Tourette's, so is, um, I wouldn't put Asperger's in there because it's kind of a whole different, different, uh, different situation, but there's a lot of, you know, that ADD, ADHD, ODD, which is a, a defiant disorder. And then Alzheimer has been called late onset autism or type three diabetes. I've also heard those. I don't know if you've heard those as well. So. Um, there are treatments, and uh, there's one called methylene blue. I don't know if you've heard of methylene blue, but they're actually having a reversal in uh, Alzheimer's symptoms over a 12-month period, which is extremely interesting. You know, a lot of a lot of times you'll hear people say, "Well, you know, we went in gluten, like the diet is real schizophrenia, bipolar, gluten-free, casein-free, at least. You know, got to be wheat and dairy-free." But a lot of people don't talk about that because those are the cheap, easy-to-access foods. And they would never want anybody to have to be inconvenienced by changing their diet. But in order to get ADD, ADHD, autism, Alzheimer's, these, these things to get better, you would definitely have to do some sort of, uh, uh, you know, a removal of problematic foods. And of course, why are the foods problematic? Because they all have leaky gut syndrome. So leaky gut syndrome is going to allow pretty much everything going from your mouth, you know, supposed to go out the other side without taking a trip through the gut wall and into the bloodstream, which gets it to the brain. And then, of course, if you have glutamate, high glutamate foods, which doesn't just mean like MSG from the you know, Chinese takeout, it's also in almonds and broccoli and and all um, and bananas and you know like healthy foods. It's in you know what we would consider to be healthy foods. But if you have autism spectrum, or of course, of course, it's late onset autism or type three diabetes, which is called Alzheimer's, um, those would also benefit from uh, certain types of, of, of elimination diets. 
as well as, of course, killing pathogens and stealing the leaky gut. So there's quite a bit that they have in common, I, I believe. I haven't had the opportunity really to work with anybody with Alzheimer's because I would say most of the people, especially in you know the U.S. or Germany and you know U.K. etc., I would say they're probably being seen by a, a you know a geriatric specialist or somebody who the family would never be comfortable doing something outside of the box. They'd already be on their medications. They definitely wouldn't have a change in diet. And of course, somebody who's going to treat these people, just like with autism, they have to be doing pretty much everything for them as far as feeding and dosing and this and that until the person gets up and running on their own. I even saw that with a, a friend's child with schizophrenia. And I remember talking to the girl, with, she was a, a young woman, a 34-year-old girl in Germany with schizophrenia. And I didn't know because I didn't, didn't know that she had it because I was not really up on schizophrenia at that point. And it was the daughter of my fr friend, or not friend, just an acquaintance, but I was kind of friendly with this acquaintance, if you could call it that. And um, I remember she would say, oh, my stomach, I have all kinds of stomach problems. Like, well, why don't you take, you know, kind of, you know, why don't you start this diet and stuff like that? And then, of course, she actually ended up committing suicide two years ago last week. And, uh, you know, then I started to read more about schizophrenia. And, and even though she was seemingly high, so high functioning, she took care of herself and she did these kind of things, but she couldn't take care of herself in another way. So actually, it would have been maybe the family to do uh, certain like pathogen killing and dietary interventions and certain supplements would have really benefited. So there's so much on the brain, you know, when it's like whether it's autism or schizophrenia or bipolar or Alzheimer's, ADD, ADHD. And, and, and I'm not saying that they're all in the same spectrum, but I'm saying that there's a lot of things that would work for all of them and they would be crossover and they would be similar. But again, it's really important that we, the, the, the family members, are not expecting them to do that for themselves. We're going to be, you know, dealing with what's coming into the house. We're going to be dealing with the kitchen. We're going to be dealing with dosing, supplements, whatever is needed for that person. But I do believe um, that it is possible to have recovery or at least a high level of recovery in whatever these labels are. Um, I'm asking this because um, I know from the pulse electromagnetic systems that they can um, increase the brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is a hormone in the brain, which is responsible for the neuron network. And this can be increased, for example, by 100% or 200% by pulse electromagnetic systems. And so people who have Alzheimer, they can, it's possible to stop Alzheimer and the people don't make, uh, let's say in a test, they make less mistakes than people who are not treated. I believe you. I, I absolutely believe you. But it's a matter of how do you get to these people? How can you help these people when they're mostly being kind of drugged and just like, you know, well, you're already no 85, you know, so how do you get no to chance. these people? And, you know, in Germany, the older population is amazing. That was one thing my, uh, my husband's a doctor. And one of the things that was so interesting to me when I go to his clinic, an ophthalmologist, and there would be people like 103 years old and then their daughters or, you know, would be with them and the daughters are like 80. You know, so you're like looking at this population that is really um, very fit, you know, considering like in the U.S. or Latin America, we'd be like, people don't live that long. But in Germany, they're kind of in like that fourth stage of life. You know, they're still like looking for the good site or they're still, you know, they're still out there doing all that stuff. And, and that would be really interesting to see, you know, these people because they do live really long and they do have a quite a good life. You know, they're. Because I always, when I was in Germany, one of the things that was always interesting, it could be freezing cold outside. And these people are out there walking. And, you know, with this Wim Hof, 
Wim Hof, you know, is to get into the cold water and it's great for your immune yes. system. Well, I think that that's why the Germans have such great um, uh, health properties. I forget the word right now that I'm looking for. But the idea is, I believe that they, they live so long and they live to be so healthy because of the lifestyle. Like it's cold, you just wear different clothes. Like you wouldn't think of not taking your bicycle, you just change your clothes. You know, like I'm from Chicago, it'd be like, you know, if it's under 65 degrees or, you know, under, under, what do you want to say? If it's under like 20 degrees uh, Celsius, like we're not biking. It's just not going to happen. Bikes are put away. And in Germany, you just bundle up scarf, gloves, hat, and let's go, you know? And, and I think, you know, that's why I think it would be really cool because some people are getting this Alzheimer's uh, and, and, and they do, they're really fit. So now you've got somebody who's probably going to live to be a hundred with Alzheimer's when they could have actually had, like you're saying, you know, there's all kinds of alternatives to having to just put up with Alzheimer's and take some medications. Yeah. yeah but as you experienced in Germany or as with alternative, uh, uh, treatments, you are, let's say you are on the radar. And if you're on the radar, yeah. then you have. A problem yeah we can see it here in germany yeah. for example i know it from um, a german doctor who made alternative t uh, treatment in cancer now he is uh, a terrorist yeah yeah and this yeah. is uh, this is and um how do you let's say um if you i want to go back to the treatment with um chlorine dioxide um how long does it take for autism if they make, for example, such a treatment so that you can say, okay, we can see a success. And how yeah. does the success look like? Okay. Well, the first month, and I think I was explaining that in the beginning with my own son. So 13 years ago, when I started with the drops of my own son, the first day, and again, I started with full dose because that's what they told me to do. Anyway, um, he was better. He was not recovered, obviously, but he was better. It was noticeably he was better. So what I usually say with the kids is once you get to the full dose, because I start with, you know, one sixteenth of a drop, start low and slow. And then once we reach the full dose for the weight, there's improvements, whether it's better sleep, whether it's better speech, whether it's better behavior, whatever it is, there's something better going on. And then as we start to seal the leaky gut and add in different supplements for that and go after the parasites and things. And then I like to use that ATEC, Autism Treatment Evaluation Checklist that I mentioned earlier at autism.org. It's free and it's in about 30 different languages. So it's pretty much in everyone's tongue somehow or maybe even more than 30 languages at this point. And you take that test and you're looking to get under 10. Between zero and 10 would be considered recovered. So keep on going. And as long as you're having a reduction every 90 days in the ATEC score, you're on track. You're doing the right thing. And if not, change, contact, send me an email. You know, whatever's going wrong so we can always adjust it because if, if or if the child's not getting better or I'm doing these drops, sometimes they're doing it wrong. I've had people just throwing the drops right into the bottle instead of activating them first, for example, and it doesn't work like that. So, you know, or diet. I mean, if you continue with this, you know, standard American diet, which is, you know, lots of wheat and lots of processed stuff. Yeah. That's not going to work. I mean, you have to, you have to really organize that diet. And I'm not saying like you have to go on a lettuce and water diet. I've been having phenomenal results in the last 14 months, more recoveries than the last 19 months, last 19 years, carnivore diet, like a heavy duty fat, so basically carnivore is high fat, low protein, no carbs. So it's really about fat. And the fat, if you go back in history, you know, human beings, we've been alive for three and a half million years. 
And we pretty much were eating large wild animals. That's kind of what we were doing until the last 8,000 years where we've been eating grains and rice and beans and things like that. So then, then we've you know, been having problems with bones and teeth and you know, other kinds of issues. So when I saw this happening and it wasn't, I, I had read a book about the carnivore diet and, and I'm not, and there's a lot of plant-based people out there and I don't like to separate us, but the, the, the results have been something, have been just staggering. I mean, I, I've never seen in 19 years of autism a diet that gave like 10% recovery doing my protocol with just the change in the diet in four months. Like that was for me astounding. And then, you know, with this little telegram group went from 40 people, it's now about 300 people. It's only in Spanish, that particular group, but I have a, an English one. Anyway, the, the important thing is when we take out foods that are problematic and inflammatory, and there's a lot of them, and they're, you know, of course, when you got the leaky gut, pretty much everything going mouth to the other end is taking a detour through the bloodstream into the brain. So once we pick out the foods that are problematic, the results are even better. You know, chlorine dioxide works much better. So when I have a family that's saying, yeah, but he, you know, he won't give up the bread or he won't give up the milk or he won't give up the quesadillas or the cheese or the pizza, whatever the thing is, then we have a problem because we continue to insult the brain with glutamate, you know, coming from like wheat and dairy and other types of foods. And what's about, what's about meat? How much, how much meat can you eat in this kind of diet? Yeah, it's not, it's not so much. It's, you know, it's maybe like 300 grams, 400 grams, something like that, but the fat is really important. So um, there's some, I have an Instagram page now and I have some young people helping me with the Instagram page. So uh, I'm putting out more videos of me cooking carnivore foods. So like, just I'll give you an idea. There's something called a chaffle, which means like uh, chicharron, which is uh, por uh, pork rinds. In Spanish, they're called chicharron. Anyway, pork rinds. And you just blend them in a blender and you get flour. And with that, you mix it with eggs and some and some some ghee, which is that you know reduced butter fat, and you just make it in a little waffle, and you have like breakfast sandwich bread, for example. Um, and you can make pasta noodles uh, out of uh, blending eggs with a little bit of fat, a little bit of ghee, for example, and you put them thin on a tray, which is like a silicone pan. And then once they bake in about 10 minutes, you just roll them and you slice them into tiny slices and you treat them as if it was pasta. So there's like just some simple things that make your food look less boring, for example. Or if you want to do like a breaded chicken nugget or something like that, you're using your pork rind flour, you know, and your stiffened egg whites. And then you just fry your, you know, put your chicken breast through that and fry it up in some ghee. So the food can look a little bit more like, you know, food that the kids are used to, but at the same time, it's all carnivore. Like I said, I mean, I, I still have some kids. I work with a lot of families in India. They're vegetarian. Uh, a lot of the, not all the families there, but a lot of the families I work with are vegetarian. And we still do good. Like we still do well and there still are recoveries. But I've never seen anything like I've seen in the last um, 13 months with this carnivore. It's crazy. And again, I, I give different options. Like there's also the low glutamate diet or this carnivore diet. If anybody's watching this, you can send me an email. I'll send you free, the, for free. Both are either one of the files. Um, there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know, like we don't, there's, yep. plant, I work with plant-based families. It's okay. I'm going to work with them too. I just, it's been really interesting to see the carnivore recovery. So, cause I've been doing autism for the last 19 years. And when I, my, my son was diagnosed when he was three and that same weekend, a person that I knew had a diet, a book about a diet for ADD, ADHD, autism. And she's like, I'll lend you the book. And I saw, I you know, read the book and I looked at the list of, of foods that he could have. And he literally ate one food on that list. So it was a potato. So, uh, so I said, okay, we're going to make potato French fries at home. And we're going to use coconut oil and sea salt. And in three days, my son started to say words again. Because he went from being verbal to nonverbal. So now he started to say words again. 
and it wasn't, again, there were words like flower, comb, and I forget there was like water or something like that. I forget this but many years ago. And then, of course, you know, when I started with the chlorine dioxide, which was six years after that, that, you know, it was like, I want to take bath, I want, you know, brush teeth. So these were like, you know, highly advanced sentences considering where we came from. And we came from totally nonverbal at some point. It's fascinating that the diet has such an effect on, on the treatment. Just, it's, it's amazing. Incredible. It's, it's everything. And when I see a family can't get the diet, I can almost tell you they're going to lose interest because uh, I, you know, I had another family that was about two months ago. Mom and I had a family I'd worked with already. They had two kids, seven and nine, with autism. Dad travels a lot for a living. And when dad is home, he feeds the children bread, wheat, bread, you know, bread. Because he's eating it himself. He's giving it to the kids. He's feeling guilty about the whole thing. The mom sends me a text. The dad's out of town. She's like, she's like, oh, I'm so upset. So I call her up. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, it, my husband says that everything is too expensive and this and that. And, you know, I'm doing all the dosing and I'm cooking all the food. But when he comes home from his, his, his trips, that he, you know, is like trying to be nice to the children. So the children are not advancing. I said, okay, when he's home, let's talk. So we talk. I said, listen, don't do anything. Don't spend any money. Just get the diet right. And as soon as you have the diet right, then let's consider starting dosing seed. Let's consider adding in black seed. Let's consider adding in whatever. But until then, don't spend one cent. You know, use your CD is very inexpensive. So just, just do your dosing. But really do the diet because the children can't have wheat, for example. It lasts in the body. can be up to three or four weeks. You're going to have a regression from wheat. So imagine if every third day dad comes home from a trip and you're getting wheat, you'll never know what your kid looks like without wheat or dairy or, you know, whatever the, the glutamate foods are you have to really clean up those diets in order to see the improvements. And the improvements are wildly amazing. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Kerry. I pass it to uh, Jane. Thank you. It was, Thank really, you. It was a real pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure as well. Thank you. Hi, Kerry. Hi, Jane. Yes, I, I imagine diet, like if you don't yes. clean things up properly, you just continue to poison right well and yeah it, inflammation in the brain is a problem you know what you know what a sprained ankle looks like so imagine you have inflammation in the brain the neurons just cannot find each other in there yeah and it's the same if parents don't know what to do with these acutes they continue to go to a doctor i i wrote a book at the beginning of this pandemic because i realized that's the real epidemic is that people aren't tuning into their own power and figuring things out themselves they've given away everything, you know, and trusting authority when we need to, like Grace said at the beginning, really take back our power. So um, I want you to talk about homeopathy and how it can be used for these acutes so they don't continue to need to run to a doctor. And uh, yeah, my book was uh, just about 17 homeopathic remedies and 12 cell salts. So people could just start to see you know, even in acute situations, how homeopathy can help and they become more curious and carry I have on. To, I have to get your book. You know, I, I have to be really honest with you. I graduated from Los Angeles School of Homeopathy in 2013. I entered school and I'll tell you the reason what, how, it, how it even came to be. So um, I was always interested in homeopathy because my child was little, like I told you, I was vaccinating, but I was doing homeopathy. Well, again, live and learn, right? So, um, but I was really into it and he was really a responder. My, my child was really a responder. So by around 2007, a book came out called, um, ah, I forget what it's called, but it was about cease therapy. And it was from Tynus Smith and he was using, it was from the Netherlands, passed away many years ago, but he was using 
um, the, the remedies based on the vaccines in the Netherlands. And he had about 300 kids recover. His book was very interesting. So I read the book, I'm like, wow. And then I would see and work with other families and they would not have the same results. Like American families doing cease therapy, different vaccines, different remedies for the wrong. So anyway, I think the frequencies are wrong. I don't know, I'm not gonna get into that judgment call. But anyway, that got me really excited to go into school for homeopathy. And I was like, wow, then I, then I researched I could do it from home. And you know, there was still some of that stuff. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I got it in 2010, I was finished in 2013. But in 2010, like literally I was starting school September of 2010 and August of 2010, I started chlorine dioxide for my son. And it was like instantly he was better. But there I was, I was signed in for the year. So it was interesting. I, I was learning, you know, the constitutionals and this and that. And uh, anyway, by the end of that, that next year, 2011, there was already like, I don't know, 40, 50 kids recovered from CD. And of course, nobody else in the world is having these results with whatever they're doing, however much you're spending. I was like, I talked to the director of the school. I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to drop out. She's like, no, 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 no. You know, you know, this is great. And this is an adjunct and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, I'm like, okay, I stay, you know, so I stay another year. And then I'm, I'm totally up to my nose with just work and consults and books and tours and conferences. I'm traveling here and there and I have my own clinic and my own kid. And there's just so much going on. And again, at the end of the year, I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to drop out. She's like, Carrie, you only have one more year. So I ended up going through homeopathy school, kind of like kicking and screaming. But at the same time, I enjoyed my class and I did enjoy watching uh one of the things I, I can say, if, if, you, if you say, well, what did you get out of it? Because I don't use remedies. I don't use any, but I, I, I like to get to book and uh, maybe use some. But I did, I do take cases based on never better since. Like I do take cases really based on the stuff that in homeopathy we're looking at. And I think that that's given me insight that I might not have had if I was looking at a lab. Well, I know I would never have them from looking at a lab. You have to look at the individual. And I very feel very strongly about looking at the individual. And what happened? Did you have a traumatic birth? Did you have, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, you know? So uh, that is probably my takeaway of, of those three years that I spent. So I'm definitely not the one to tell you what remedies, but I am interested in getting your book because I do believe that there are some things that maybe we could fix some, you know, maybe even just have a constitutional and there's kind of hold, you know, hold something while we're moving other things around or you know something very specific or like you said with the salts i mean there's there's so many different things i i i, yeah. I would like to read your book yeah i started teaching cell salts to parents so they could help them help their children you know in the middle of the night when it happens and they're simple there's only 12 so they could really you know learn to use right. them well yeah and um it's the fear of disease that I really had to get my head around and I got, I became a naturopathic doctor and then a homeopath. Oh, wow. And it was when I was becoming a homeopath, I thought I would do my thesis on vaccination. Maybe we could vaccinate with homeopathy and it would be much more safe. And, you know, because at that time I knew that most of these adverse reactions were because of the extras they put in the vaccines. Right. Mm -hmm. and, but by the end of, you know, my few hundred or thousand hours of research, I realized that most disease isn't really what we should be afraid of. In fact, it trains the immune system. And with homeopathy and proper food, you, you recover completely and then you're immune for life, right? Okay. So I, I mean, when I entered naturopathic school, my girls were three months old and, uh, 
I don't think I've ever been back to a doctor since I've only used homeopathy. And that was, that was my, I just learned what to do myself Mm -hmm. and uh, felt that I'll just stay away from the system if that's what I need to do. But uh, tell us your story. Like when did you notice for sure there was a connection between vaccines and autism? I didn't know what happened because what happened with my son, for example, it was like this by one year old, he was a really sharp guy. So I have two kids. I have a 26 and a 22. So the the 26 year old, he's typical, whatever that means. And then the 22 year old, he's the one that was born. Like the second he came out, he was looking around the the room or in my, my maternity room, whatever he was looking around. He was super sharp. The other guy, because he was my firstborn, he was just born like it was, he was out of it. You could just see he was a mess. And he was the one that came out okay. And then Patrick, my youngest one, who was the one that got the autism, he was sharp. He was sitting up early. He was crawling early. He was walking early. He was talking early. And by 12 months, he had, I don't know, 20, uh, 20 words. Like he had colors and those, those uh, little flashcards he could do. And he was, his eyes were like laser focused on everything. And he was always trying to get, like, if I was trying to do a video of him, he was always trying to get the light on the camera. And, you know, he was really into everything. He was my super sharp guy. And then right around the time I stopped breastfeeding, 11 months, and he got that MMR, then he started to just take a, take a nosedive. And it, it was slow. And of course, he was also now not sleeping well. So between him not sleeping well, me not, because I slept with him in his room with his brother, because he'd wake up in the middle of the night with like diarrhea diaper and drooling and crying. So I didn't sleep for probably two years. I mean, really, I didn't have a good night's sleep for probably two years because I had an older child, you know, so I had the, now the two-year-old and the six-year-old, the six-year-old had activities. So I had to get him to school. I had to, I would go play tennis, you know, because I still had to live my life somehow, even though I was all messed up. And, um, and then of course, not sleeping at night. So I was really sleep deprived. So you don't realize when was the last time your kid was okay anymore and was he ever okay? And, you know, you're looking at photos, but you don't have much time to look back on photos. So you're not really going like, oh, what happened? Because you don't, you, again, the exhaustion is something incredible. And then, of course, the, the marital stress is something that's also really incredible because now I'm not sleeping. He doesn't care because his job is more important than my job and whatever. So, you know, that was just a whole train wreck as well. And then uh, by the time somebody said to me the diagnosis, because nobody could tell me, and this goes back many years ago. So autism was not as common and especially not in where I lived in a small village of in Mexico. Uh, they were just like, oh, he's spoiled, baby of the family, bilingual home, you know, he's whatever. And so you just go about like your life like that. You go to a few experts and that's what the experts tell you. You say, okay, that's what I've got. And then one day I had had my kids in this one school, kind of a Montessori, but not Montessori kind of type. So it was called Pierre Ford. Had my kids in the school. And the director of the school came to me and she said to me, you know, I've got this friend, she's coming from the States and she's a, she's a, um, a neuropsychologist and I'd like her to see your kids. And I was like, oh yeah, she's going to tell me what's wrong with that older kid. Cause he's a little, a little bit, well, he wasn't really okay, but he was okay. You know, compared to at least anyway, whatever. So I thought, oh, they're going to tell me because the other guy, they already told me he's okay. Just a little delayed. I mean, I, I didn't even realize he had lost all his speech by, the, by this point. Now he was like three and a half years old and his brother was now what? seven and a half years old. So she's now focused, this, this, this woman from the States, this psychologist from the States, she's like, oh, does Patrick always run in circles and squeal like a dolphin and uh, flap like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after about 30 minutes, she's like, oh, you know, your, your child has autism. And then I was like, well, how do you know for sure? And she says, well, I did my, my postgraduate in autism and I've seen, you know, several hundred cases and, you know, kind of fits, but, you know, you can always, 
And I said, well, what do I do? And she's like, well, there's these psychologists here in this small town and they're going to help you. So the next day, head over there. And there's two women like deer in the headlights. They have no idea what they're doing. They're like freaked out to see me because I'm now I'm a basket case. I'm a, I'm a basket case for the next like two years, even though I'm investigating and I'm reading and I'm looking and everything. But it was, it was you know, a long period of time. So they, there was nothing for my son there. And then, of course, um, you know, I believe in God and I believe that uh, God put really important people in my path. And so uh, one person that I met told me, oh, there's this guy he does. He, he used to do sunrise from the States and now he's here retired in this like I live in a beach town. And so I went to him. I'm like, you know, like when you, it's your kid, you just like, I'm sorry, you don't know who I am, but I got this kid and this and that. And, and so I said to him, I said, you know, would you be, you know, I don't care. Will you train me? Will you teach other people for me? Will you work with my kid? He's like, no, 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 I, I'm retired. I don't want to do therapy anymore. I'm like, please, please, please. Anyway, he wouldn't. But I went to his, uh, like he lived in the complex. So one day after, before I picked up my kids, to school, I just finished playing tennis and I went there. And so I was, you know, begging basically. And he said, well, if you want, you know, I can teach you some, some tricks kind of thing and whatever. So I, I left and I, and I was feeling terrible. It was in the first 10 days after the diagnosis. I was feeling just terrible. And I saw my friend driving by in her new car, friend from tennis, not a friend, but you know what I mean? Somebody that used to play on the court next to me. And we had sick, sick old dogs at the same time. So we'd be like, uh, contrain sulfate and glucosamine. And we'd be talking about this between points. Um, and so I saw her and I was like, you know what, Carrie, it's about smelling the flowers along the road. And if it hadn't been for that thought in my head that came to me, and I believe this is just my guidance, you know, it wasn't really that I had these thoughts. And uh, I, so I was like, hey, Susan, nice car. And, you know, it was a town. So you're like kind of town and everything, you know, so she turns off the car. No, she doesn't turn off the car. She's like, oh, hey, Carrie, how you been? I had a terrible week. And my, you know, I, she's a realtor. And she's like, oh, my deal's falling apart and this and that. I'm like, well, I had a really bad week. I said, you know, my my son was diagnosed with autism on the 12th of March. And this was like a week later. And my dog of 14 years, she was finally put to sleep the next day. And then my identity was stolen on the internet the next day. And she turns off her car and she's like, I, she said, I'm so sorry to hear this. She says, I have a friend who started an early autism treatment center in Toronto, Canada. Her name is Nora Whitney. And I'm going to put you in contact with her. The next day I had an email. <laughs> And this goes back to 2004. I had this huge email from Nora Whitney, and she's telling me that autism is caused by vaccinations. You have to go see one of these biomedical doctors. They exist in the United States. You have to get your kid doing ABA therapy. That's the one that Dr. Ivar Lovis started back 40 years ago. They actually take these kids even with therapies, and they bring them back on track, and they don't they get the social back and everything. I mean, I'm taking notes. I'm calling the woman. I, and she says, get Bobby Newman. Well, Bobby Newman studied under Ivar Lovis. I mean, this, this guy's like, you know, the be all end all. I end up getting his wife because the wife will travel to me. Not the wife. She's coming. And then I got the appointment with the guy in Florida and, and he's doing labs and he's doing supplements and B12 injections and candida. So I'm doing all this stuff. And, and again, my son, as soon as I started that potato diet, you know, he was, he was substantially better. So basically it was just this whole process. I don't even know how I got on this tangent because I'm thinking about how that whole thing happened. It was really it was more blessed of a journey than I can even imagine because had it not been for that person, Susan, who had nothing to do with autism whatsoever, she's selling real estate playing tennis, like nothing to do with autism, but she put me together with Nora Whitney, who was my really one of my first angels along the journey that got me to, uh, because I, I didn't know what happened to my son. But then as I got into the whole autism recovery world, most like 99% of the families are saying my kid was born fine and mine was born phenomenal like until that 11 month 
off the breast, diarrhea, a little bit sketchy, you know, and then that next like 13 month decline, um, I didn't really know what happened. But again, because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have all my, my wherewithal because I was exhausted. Um, then I realized, yeah, I mean, what else can take your child away from you like that? And like, children don't start to not develop after they're developing unless something gets put in the way, which would be like, you know, brain inflammation, gut inflammation, uh, immune system uh, down, these kind of things and heavy metals and pathogens, all that kind of stuff. So that's when I started to realize it. And then I started looking around. And of course, that's now, um, fortunately, unfortunately, that's now my world. And we see it day in and day out and everyone's still singing the same song. And, and again, nothing changes, you know, it's really heartbreaking. And of course, now, instead of it, when my son was diagnosed, it was like one in 200, something like that. And now it's, you know, one in 27, it just gets worse. And they just keep put, you know, pushing us down into our box. So now we're all just singing to the choir, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what we all have in common. And it was because of them that I even understood what happened. Right. And probably then there weren't 72 doses, right? By right. the age of three, there would right. have been far less. The yeah. Japanese show a study where autism goes up every time they add a new vaccine to the schedule. So that's something people can look at. Right. And then I think it's like the, I, I think the shot might be the trigger, right? The just the, it's too much. Whereas there's probably toxins all around kids. And then that extra, you know, shot just it's sends them storm. right over. It's a yeah, the perfect, perfect storm. storm. It yeah. really is a perfect storm. Because Dr. Roe Mitchell, rest in peace, a dear friend of mine, he helped me with the sealing of the leaky gut with homophobic and black seed oil and stuff. Um, you know, he said, like, the mother's over 27, we have uh, reduced thyroid hormone function. So we're going to have reduced brain unless we're, we're on that. And most of us are not thinking we're older at that point, right? Um, we have a reduced hydrochloric acid in the stomach. That's also a part of the problem of the downstream effect of the whole gut uh, function and the enzymatic practices. I mean, those are just two simple things. Then, of course, I would say 80% of us had our children by cesarean. Uh, and of course, you know, there's that whole problem with the breastfeeding and what happens to the colostrum and blah, blah, blah. So there's lots of little factors, which are not little, because, you know, some would say, well, how come this kid who got the vaccine doesn't have autism and this kid did? That perfect storm, but now a perfect storm, every one in 27. Mm. And then Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who I, I interviewed not that long ago, I've known him about seven years. And she, when we were talking, I said, you know, do you see any typical kids anymore? And again, I, I look back, I mean, I'm 57 next this month. And I, I, nobody, like everybody was pretty sharp. Like all the people I went to grammar school with, I mean, they all went on to become professional, you know, like you know, big, good thinkers. And, and now there's, there's a lot of, um, she said that the actual, the IQs are lower now. They're, the IQs are lower than they used to be. And we've just kind of come to accept that. Yeah. Well, right. It's a sad situation and we need to find the solutions. The world really needs you, Carrie. Thank you so much. And like you said, you just need to ask. And this world really does provide the healing and source or God will provide the path if you ask. So thank you it's so much. True. It's true. Thank yeah. you. And I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Jane. Um, let's bring one comment from the audience who said, please ask her to explain the difference of okay. MM 
Okay. It's, it's easy because MMS was how Jim Humble called chlorine dioxide. So when he had went on a, 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 a mining expedition in, in, uh, in, in South America back about 30 years ago, he went to a camping store and he bought two bottles. One was sodium chloride and the other one was the activator, probably citric at the time. So you put one drop, one drop for one minute and you get uh, a chlorine dioxide. But chlorine dioxide solution, which is CDS, that's the gas that's outgassing from the, the raw materials together and it's trapped in water. So the CDS is just the completed action, which is fine for older people. For younger people, it's not powerful enough. So there, there is a difference, even though at the end of the day, they're both chlorine dioxide. And a lot of people will tell you, no, CDS is the clean, purest form. Yeah, it has no raw material in it, but the raw material in, in itself actually gives it more power to drive deeper. And when you have things like autism and ADD and you have young people, it's far more indicated than say CDS. And there was also a text sent to me on my phone uh, say, what do you still have a working relationship with Jim Humble? Well, Jim Humble's 90, he just turned 90. And the last time I saw him was about seven years ago. I saw him in Berlin and he was older because he used to live with me and my ex-husband back in 2012 through 2014. So I know him extremely well. I love him with all my heart. I mean, he's, he's for me, one of the most special people. And of course, you know, wh wh where I am today would have never happened if I wasn't standing on his shoulders. So he's, he's a very, very important person in my life. And I did text with his wife not that long ago. Um, I do have a trip to uh, his area planned for April because I have some things I have to do in that country. So I do plan to stop by and at least, you know, give a hug and a kiss and maybe spend a couple of hours and then, you know, because he's, he's older. I don't know. I, I have not seen him in such a long time, but I, I will definitely, God willing, you know, gives him more life and gives me more time to get there. And I saw that um, birthday celebration greetings online. And if he's 90 years old, mm, I might really have to listen more, right? So why would I listen to someone, you know, who is not 90 years old and he looks really sharp? And, and then another um, question texted to me is, um, are you in collaboration or are you familiar with uh, works of other doctors in autism like Dr. Butar or other doctors? Well, I'm very familiar with their work. I'm extremely familiar, but I disagree when somebody is looking at autism uh, just with one eye and saying it's all heavy metals. It's not all heavy metals. So that, that's totally incorrect. And I work with a lot of these people's failures. So I work with a lot of people that have worked with these doctors and I'm not going to mention names, but you mentioned one, but, and the kids really don't get better. And they spend, you know, somewhere around 40, $50,000 a year doing that treatment. And the results are, you know, if you want to do your ATEC score, the results are, you got a 70 ATEC and you go to 65, that was not money well spent, for example. So yeah, I'm very familiar with them. I actually translated the Dan protocol for Autism Research Institute back in 2006. So I'm extremely familiar with their biomedical interventions. And I'm also really familiar with why they don't work because you cannot look at one pathogen or one heavy metal at a time and say, oh, well here we just see we got aluminum. So let's just only worry about aluminum. You have all of them. And it's the same thing with pathogens. Like you don't just have candida, you don't just have a parasite, you don't just have a bacteria, you have all of it because they're in biofilms in the gut and in the blood. So everything is there and needs to be treated and, and they fail over and over again because they, have, they don't have the tool that will get them the results that they need to have. And that's why 
chlorine dioxide has been so important, but it's been blackballed by all of those uh, organizations that are like, you know, this, uh, this autism biomed doctors. It's just become a really important business. These people are printing money, you know, and of course they don't want to give it up. And then of course they're also medical doctors, so they would lose their licenses if they did start to promote chlorine dioxide. So they just keep doing their labs, selling a bunch of supplements and, you know, the occasional chelation uh, material or the occasional antifungal, like a nice statin or diflucan. You're not going to get anywhere. One step forward, one step backwards. And then, of course, as they get older, backwards, 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 because you missed the pathogens and now they're growing out of control. And every time you go into puberty, pre-puberty, oh, man, that's a sweet mess if you don't have control of your pathogens. And this one may be in relation, in, related to what Hartmut made a comment and says, can the CTS or and MMS help kids that have other learning and emotional issues? Sure, of course. Absolutely, I've seen it over and over and over again because I work with people with every, the, I've worked with pe people with almost every diagnosis that I've ever heard of. There's a few that I've never heard of, so then I don't take them because I don't know what they are. But everything that's to do with like learning and brain and development and child, even like Down syndrome, you can't fix the, you got the chromosome problem. But the autism part of Down, because basically every child that has Down syndrome, they have some um, symptoms of autism as well. So you can get rid of that one. I've watched children recover their speech with Down syndrome and you just become very healthy. So you can treat pretty much every issue with chlorine dioxide to some degree. Okay, thank you. And then uh, this could be, what this, you're certified as a DAN clinician. Can you yeah. explain what DAN stands for? Yeah, well, it used to be uh, Defeat Autism Now, and it was created by Dr. Bernard Rimland back in the 70s. And he started everything that is autism biomed. He wrote a book in 1964 called uh, uh, Early uh, Childhood, oh gosh, I forget the name off the top of my head. Anyway, 1964, Dr. Bernard Rimland, he started the Autism Research Institute, which came up with this ATEC score. But he's the one that started. He wrote the book in 1964, Infantile Autism, the name of the book. And he says, it's not the refrigerator mother. Because back in 1964, they were saying, it's the refrigerator mother, you're, you're, you're a bad mother. And he said, I have three children. I got one with autism and I have two girls. My, mother, my wife is a great mother to all three of my kids. So what happened? Something happened. And then he, that book went out there and he started to receive letters, you know, not email, letters from people saying, oh, I'm in Sweden and we give cod liver oil and my kid's better, we give high dose B6 and magnesium, my kid's better, that we do gluten-free. So he started to compile this. And he rented this little, bought this little office in San Diego, California, once he was a retired naval psychiatrist. And he just started to put the, put the pieces together, starting in the late, late 1960s, early 1970s. And he really is the, you know, the first stones in the road. And then I came along many years later because my friend Bob Sands of the hyperbaric fame, he was friends with Dr. Rimland. And so when I was there one day, I went and met him. And so Dr. Rimland said, well, if you'd like, you can translate the protocol into Spanish and take it to Latin America. And I was like, wow. And then that was the first that I ever thought like outside of my little box or my little neighborhood that I was going to do something else. And of course, once I learned what they were doing with the supplements and with the, with the medications and the, and the lab testing and stuff, I started to see some holes. And then as time went on, like I said, by 2010, I was like, this ain't it, something's up, you know? And then when I saw chlorine dioxide and all it did, it was like, wow, I'm just running like, you know, a moth to the flame. You referred to www.autism.org. 
knowing that there's a lot of infiltration in almost all organizations, is that organization still some uh, uh, the organization or the website that we can trust? Somehow? Don't trust it. Don't trust it. But just go and use the ATEX score. It's free. I mean, they even have a disclaimer about me and chlorine dioxide saying that it's bad and dangerous. No, it's ATEC. No, there's no H on it. A-T-E-C. Yeah, A-T-E-C is Autism Treatment Evaluation Checklist. And that's at autism.org. So the test is very good. I, I like the test and you can take it every day if you want, but I would say don't take it more than, yeah, perfect. Uh, you would like to do that every 90 days and you want to make sure that number is coming down and our goal is definitely zero. But everything they say is going to lead you to doctors that are going to do lab tests and treat based on the lab test. And as homeopaths, we know you don't ever want to do something like that. So we want to treat based on what we've got with the symptoms. And you mentioned one of your books will be updated or edited. Which one is that? Um, this, one, this one I wrote 10 years ago. So I'm actually in the process of replacing this book. Uh, but, but some of the stuff stayed the same. Like I, as I'm going through, I've probably slashed about 300 pages. But like, for instance, hyperbarics, that has not changed. It's still 1.75 atmospheres, you know, 90 minutes every day for 20 days. It's still the same protocol for, you know, brain injury. It's still the same protocol. Chlorine dioxide, for example, I was still doing like eight doses a day. Now I'm doing 16. So there's stuff that needs to be updated as well as diet. You know, back then I was still like, ah, oh, gluten-free, casein-free. No, oh my gosh, there's so much more to it than that. And there's so many more problems. So you cannot just say like every nut is good for you or every grain is good for you. Every fruit is, no, it's not the case. You cannot look at, they all have different chemical properties. And so we have to like, we look at, and I've done that. And now this is, you know, three years later of, or three and a half years later, low glutamate. And then of course, carnivore is now four, 13, 14 months. So there's, there's a lot of changes. And I think that that needs to be updated as well. And uh, is that the Instagram account? Instagram, I'm, I'm doing videos of me cooking, which is always a real tricky situation because I'm not, I have all this <laughs> technological issues myself. So um, yeah, it's me kind of falling around my kitchen and, and, you know, trying to show, you know, what I'm doing because they're really simple. And a lot of people are just like, oh, more meat, you know, but actually it's not more meat. You've got to get into some of the other fats. Like you've got to increase the fat because that's going to reduce the overall body inflammation. So it, it does help when people are seeing the videos of how to make, I mean, it's really simple because I'm a terrible cook and it's really simple to, to, to do these recipes. And I still like this title, Real Solutions, Alternative First Aid, because as Carrie says, autism is preventable, treatable, and recoverable. So first aid is always first thing, first act on it. Um, anything more that you, you need to share for your first time with us? And I hope, and we all hope really, that you'll come back again in the future. Oh, for sure, for sure. count on it. And just to make you excited, I have a pork butter on my bread today. Uh, it's still a bread, but it's just a small piece of bread and pork butter, avocado, guacamole. And I just love my fat. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes a really big difference. And of course, I, I, the proof is in the pudding. You know, I've been doing this for 19 years and I've never seen anything like the carnivore diet. Just like, you know, regarding diet, I've never seen a diet with more healing power than carnivore. And I've never seen um, a healing power like chlorine dioxide. And I used to have a clinic. We had ozone, we had hyperbarics, we had neurofeedback, we had IV chelation, we had lots of stuff. And I never saw the recoveries like I saw once I started using chlorine dioxide. So I'm just telling my story, where I come from, what I've seen 
and of course, you know, what the results have been. And if you can do something over and over and over again, then that's the, the path to choose. And if anybody needs, you know, a free copy of diet or whatever, you know, feel free to email me, carryvera.com. I'm always happy. And then of course, we have telegram groups. I have free ones. And, you know, so there's stuff people can just get, you know, we're happy to help. I and mean, the idea is saving these children. We have to all be in this together. I do consultations for people that wanted to work one-on-one, but I, ha- I have two assistants that are full-time free in the, you know, Telegram and Instagram and doing all the other behind the stuff because we have to be there for the, the you know, God doesn't just love rich kids. So we have to be there for everybody, you know, whatever, whatever your price point is. If it's nothing, we're there. If you got a little something, we're there. So it, it, the important thing is to help. And to all of you, Hartmut, Carl, Roy, Jane, and uh, of course, Carrie, thank you all for thank you, Grace. spending this time with us. And thank you for everything that you do. And to all of you out there, yeah, just do something different. And that's good. And see for yourself, because the proof is in the pudding, as everyone says. Thank you. Thank you, Grace, for the invitation. Thank you all.